Welcome to episode 658 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right here, team, welcome along to episode 658 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James Owls, and I, and I have noticed one thing, Newsom's had a haircut, normally when Newsom gets a haircut, it, it's short all over, but longer on top this time, mate. It was, last time was too short, so I said to not so much off the top this time, Yeah, it is, you know, from, a, from an economical point of view, it is going to mean I have to go back a little bit earlier, but... Uh, Are you happy? Do you like the longer on top? Well, I'll get that feedback later on today. When the wife comes home? Yeah. Okay, good. I like it. I think it's a good look. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. You, you can go in your grips. Great. You've got mid-grips happening. Yeah. You know, remember, you're a bit 90210. I saw you post something on your Facebook page a couple of days ago. and Oh, remember my daughter? Yeah, far out. I can tell you, why. remember why we used to call you the mullet. <laughs> Bloody hell. That was a lot of hair. A long time ago. That was, that was like 11 years ago. I Talk is proudly brought to you by? Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a few, Jumbo. John, the Mincer Muncy. We've got James, the Dirty Dog Spence. And James, the Red Rocket Thomas. Good times, rock and roll. This week's show, we've got some news. We've actually we've got bug roll news, to be honest. We've got a hot topic. Got an interview. We have. I had an interview last night with Aaron Baker. So we are following up with not the greatest, not the goats, <laughs> the defiant. gods. He's defiant. And Aaron backs me up here. You'll hear later on. You're wrong, Bevan. Aaron and I are right. Uh, and so we're going to talk through, not about Aaron. Um, we're talking about the woman of the 80s. And obviously, she's yeah. one of them. So really trying to determine, you know, and just educate all of us on some of those fantastic females of the 80s that I and probably most of you know very little about. So, uh, uh, then we've got some questions and answer wing at the end. Uh, we just want to do want to say, obviously, in Christchurch, we're all in the news right now. We had a pretty horrific event happen last Friday. Where, where were you, John? I was at the hairdresser, actually. Oh, really? So, and, and, you, and so it came through when you were at the hairdresser? Well, no, just before I left the hairdresser, I, I, I'm, I know I'm getting old because I listen to Radio New Zealand quite a lot now. Yeah, I love Radio New Zealand. It's great. It really is. I love them. I, you know what I love about Radio New Zealand? Is they don't give anyone a pass. Yeah. You know, the, the, when they get the political guys, they're hard on all of them. Yeah. You know, where some of radio stations are a bit biased one way. Yeah. Radio New Zealand, they don't give anyone a pass. So I was just about to go to the hairdresser, and uh, and then the news first came across that something had happened, and then at the new at the hairdresser, my phone started vibrating in my pocket. Yeah. And there was text messages coming through from school, um, just one after the other. There was one from the the polytech where I study, and it was just boom, boom, boom. They just kept on coming. And uh, and basically all the schools got put down into into lockdown, and I was got to say I was we were very very fortunate because every school in Christchurch got went in lockdown. Ours went in lockdown, but for some reason we were able to go and pick our kids up at three o'clock. Oh really? Um, which every, every other person I've spoken to it's every like school in Christchurch was, yeah. was six o'clock, and to have the kids sitting in a classroom for three hours, um, not knowing what going what is going on. 
geez, I'm, I'm pretty pleased. Well, I was speaking to uh, one of the parents at our runners on Saturday morning, and their kid, their kids were close to the Limwood Mosque, so so their kids had to sit down under their desk, lay down the whole time, yeah. and they, and her and you're right there, John. Yeah, I'm just getting this microphone sorted. Um, and their and their son's a little bit autistic, so he was just like, he, it was pretty scary for the poor kid. <sighs> it's just I've got to admit, I fe- have felt like shit since Friday, and uh, yeah, it's just. It's just weird, and I hope, yeah, you got, there's some hope there. Hopefully we see some long-term change, not just, you know, knee-jerk reaction, what's happened in the last few weeks, but geez. It's, it's so hard to copy. Like, like us with our runners, we made sure we put our runners on Saturday morning, it was a bit funny, but we were like, we just felt our runners would want it, and, and they did, and so many of them came out to us and said, it's just what we need, which is really great. But um, you kind of think, like, in our runners, on a, on a big day, we get 200 people there. You know, you kind of think, imagine if 50 of those people in your community, you know, to go through that, it's just mm. so hard to comprehend. So if you happen don't happen to know what we're talking about, 50 people were gunned down in a mosque in Christchurch, and it happened, it's about 5Ks from where we live, yeah. so it is very close to home. And, yeah, I guess from a personal level as well, I kind of feel, one of the reasons I feel like shit is that it's taken this incident to actually me to wake up to all this sort of stuff. You yeah. know, so often it happens overseas and we kind of go, well, that's really, yep. really crap. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing a lot of soul searching and uh, it's been, yeah, very confused, sad for the people, but hope that, um, yeah, something's going to come out of this. And yeah, and, and in some ways, if a person who does something as horrible as like this is they are trying to spread hate. Um, and, and in some ways I'm really proud of our country right now because the overwhelming response is um, a sense of we are not this and, and that we try to represent love and acceptance and admittedly we're not perfect at it but um, you know the response has been the total opposite of what he was trying to spread to us and you just you just look at the outpouring of love and support and mm. and, it's, and like John says you, I think there's some really good self-reflection in there and, and like one thing for me because I come from I come from a quite a I come from a poorer part of town and so it's often quite multicultural so I've never really had racism in me um, but one thing I, I have often done is keep quiet when someone's been a bit racist absolutely you know what I mean you, there. you know what I mean and mm. it's like it's something I've tried to develop in myself is to stand up a bit more but I've just in this moment here there's, there's kind of a couple of things, and I hope you guys take from this, is that first of all, if you ever find yourself putting a block of people into one category, mm. just stop yourself, because it's such a narrow way of looking at the world. Mm. You know, sure, the, in all categories there's bad people, and mm. in all categories there's great people, but generally speaking, most humans in this world want to love how you know love and support each other. But more importantly, if, if someone is... Because, you know, you, like in New Zealand, there's a bit of racism towards Māori. Yeah. And, and, you know, and well, some, all people of colour. Yeah, true. Yep, definitely. But, you know, you do tend to hear because they are indigenous kind of people. Um, and sometimes you just kind of, oh, do I want to be a difficult person who... And I've just mm. kind of decided through this experience, I'm always going to fight for, I'm going to be the guy who's going to be difficult in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to stand up and say, actually, I don't agree with you. And I, and I mm. actually disagree because I just think... If, we, if you don't say anything, what are you allowing to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, this is a horrible time and uh, I just kind of hope and you're kind of seeing that the response is pretty special for us in New Zealand and our leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, like uh, we look at America with their gum reforms and how hard they find real gum reforms. Or, you know, straight away our, all our leaders are coming out and saying, Shit's happening in the next week or so. Mm. And that's, you know, I'm really proud of our leaders right now as well. And so all countries around the world, we all know that there's parties and people in power at the place and, and at the moment that 
they're just promoting divisiveness. Yeah. And so hopefully that you dick guys... dick from Australia. Yeah, man. What a God. dick. That, when you say that, this is what this is one of the challenges I've really had is you look at that guy from Australia. So if you don't know, there's a, a politician over there and he basically said the reason this happened is because of our immigration policies. And my immediate reaction, like you, is to go, what an absolute cocksucker. Yep. And... Um, and likewise with the, the gunman who did this incident, you're going, mate, you're just, you can't comprehend no. it. But at the same time, I do want to understand why they get to that level and what we can do to have those people to be more inclusive so they're a better part of society and so they don't have that hatred. So, you know, on one side, I absolutely feel for the victims and Jesus, the, the survivors. Do you know what? There's there was hundreds of people in this mosque and so 50 are dead. 500 were in the room with 500. Yeah. Imagine the other 450 people. Oh. I mean, they're, I, wouldn't, I don't know if you want to say their lives are ruined, but bloody hell, it's not far off. Um, so you feel sympathy for them, but then... I don't say, say I feel sympathy for the gunman, but I want to understand how, how we the hell people that. can get yeah. to that. And so, Do you know one thing I always think, and I remember, because when I was younger, I kind of didn't really get homosexuality, and I always just oh, yuck, you know. <laughs> and then I started working in the fitness industry, and it's just full of gay people. And, and you kind of, quickly, I understood, God, I was a dick. You know, like <laughs> I kind of understood, I just hadn't really allowed myself to... Um, surround myself with people who are different to me. Mm. And one thing that's really important in life, and, and Heineken actually did this brilliant ad campaign a while ago where they got two people who were extremes, but they didn't let them know. And they got them in this room and they just got them to have a beer with each other. Mm. And by the end of it, all relationships, they were more accepting of each other. Mm. And I think that is something we need to kind of encourage is that, you know, like I'm not religious. I don't think no, you, you're not, not religious as well. But, you know, our job is just to kind of go, just to kind of allows us to at least be open to different people and so we can be more accepting because when you do open yourself to different types of people you kind of realize you know what they're just people mm. and they're kind of similar, similar human needs so so i but, guess our challenge to you guys is well my challenge to you is take this bloody tragedy and see if you can make some change because i can tell you when it happens close to home it's a shitload different when it happens in america or in london or yeah. something like that so you know, try to instigate some change um, from be the person who, who who supports a better way. Is, is what you want to think Bevan, about. Bevan, having a pause because I've got a justice microphone. It's doing my head in. Okay, here we go. We're having a pause. Here we go. He's back in the, in the mic. You, you happy now? I'm happy. <laughs> it's right up to its Happy face. as Larry. <laughs> okay, guys. So let's get into the triathlon talk. So we haven't had a lot of racing happening over the weekend, but we did have one, a couple of 70.3s. One in Campeche, the 70.3. I Pretty think good it was. Mail field. Yeah, well, it was the. Um, some sort of championship race. Okay. So, yeah, man, that Michael Weiss, and I have got the right Weiss this time. Last time I got it wrong. This time was the Austrian Weiss, Michael. Uh, that guy's a weapon. Went 3.50.02, beating off Peter Hemrick. A lot of you won't have heard of him. He's uh, doing very well in the 70.3s. Not sure if he does Ironman or not. And Ben Hoffman in thir third, Matt Hansen fourth, and Frederick Van Leerd fifth. Freddie Van Leerd was leading for a fair chunk of the race, but exploded at some stage on the run with a 127. 10 minutes slower than the rest of the field, basically. Um, but yeah, he was leading early on. Uh, Heather Wirtle took out the females ahead of Jacqueline Herring and Lauren Brandon. So good to see some nice early season racing. We also had, it was an age, age group only race, but we are short on news today. Um, it was in Puerto Rico. The pictures, a couple of pictures I saw made it look awesome. Uh, Cameron Hackett took out the males race. He was in the 18 to 24 age group. And then on the female side, we had... 
oh, come on, tracker. Overall, Carolina Dementiev took it out in four hours, 51.13. So, John, I have a question for you. Yes. We, we know that there's not many, or there's a few age group I'm in. How many age group just 70.3s are there? No pros. Uh, that's a jolly good question, um, and I don't know the answer. Because I don't recall us talking about that a lot. Like an Ironman, there seems to be about mm. probably a handful of non-pro Ironman races mm-hmm. happening in the calendar now. But just the 70.3s, it's, this is the first time I seem to remember that just being a well, 70.3. Kona, when, I did, when I did Kona, and, and Kona oh, going true. forward, there's no pros there. So I don't know off the top of my head. I think that probably more than you realise, because once we get into the thick of the season, we kind of don't really notice yeah. the 70.3 we, uh, yeah, races. Exactly, yeah. So I'm going to take a stab in the dark. I'm going to say about a third. Okay, good times. Well, that's quite a lot then, isn't it? Yeah. A third is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's great for the age group is when you can win a 70.3 overall. I know a guy who did. Man. I know a guy who did. Legend. Yeah. Legend he is. Uh, John, you're, you're upset. I am. Brett, I was going to give Brecker Wanaka some love. That was on uh, at the weekend. So if you don't know, remember about Brecker, it's where you swim, run, swim, run all over the place and go on a bit of an adventure. Uh, we had a few Christchurch athletes uh, down there racing, I know. Uh, went on their website today. Today's Tuesday morning and the race was on Saturday. They still haven't got any results. Results. Pick up your game. Come on. Come on, man. Come on. Want to Especially give nowadays. Because yeah. everyone pretty much goes home and want to see the results, don't they? The difference with them, I think they do manual results, but still, it's a priority you know, to get manual results up. I had the secondary school race um, the week, week before week before last, and, uh, and we, we do manual results, but electronic manual, if that makes sense. We don't have timing chips, and you have the results up within two hours. Well, yeah. I can have the results up straight away before checking them within five minutes of the finish. Mm. So pick up your game. Pick up your game. John's ITU update. We had the Malulaba World Cup. So second tier racing happening over the weekend. Or actually gentle race. Yeah. So. so World Cups, is, as we haven't said, the second tier. And often these days you tend to find that they are sprint distance. So the Malulaba Triathlon is actually owned by Ironman now because they bought out the USM, which uh, runs a number of events in Australia. Do they run Nusa as well? Sorry? Do they run Nusa as well? Uh, yes, pretty pretty positive there. So Noosa and Malulaba are basically the two, you know, I'd say, and I'm happy to be corrected, two of the longest standing races in Australia, two of the real original iconic races, massive age group participation. And uh, Tyler Mistelchuk was the race favourite on the male side and he really dominated. I watched a little highlights package and he was first out of the swim and just pulled away straight um, pretty early on in the run uh, and crushed it. And likewise, Ashley Gentle was the favourite on the female side and she always has to get herself out of a bit of trouble in the swim normally and she did so and then uh, and then she ran and, and you'd kind of expect that. She won the World Series uh, finale last year. So good on them and... And run times these days. Geez, I know, sub 15. So fast. So fast. Uh, Ashley Gentle ran 16.54. So that's, that's, that's solid, really solid. And then uh, Tyler Mistelchuk, 14.47. That's, that's smoking, isn't it? That is. That is and good. So really. the next race on the, in terms of ITU side of things, uh, we have the World Cup coming to New Plymouth, which is in the North Island on the. West Coast and uh, another sprint distance race. Cool thing there is uh, for this year they're combining that with the New Zealand Secondary Schools race. So, oh, how um, cool is that? So it's cool for the Secondary Schools kids to be able to uh, race with hopefully a good crowd, but then be able to turn around and, and watch some uh, some rock stars. So the week, will that be on the weekend? The kids race? Or will that be the day mm, before? Uh, I'd imagine it'll be the day after. The, the kids over here they uh, they have a. Uh, 
a mixed relay for the students. They have a and is that based individual on region or schools? Well, it's a bit. It's a bit of both. I mean, the ideal is to have schools, but then you've got boys and girls only schools, so it doesn't really yeah. work. So I think these days they're doing it a bit more regionally based. Um, and then they also this year, I think they're having like some sort of transition race. Um, oh really? So you know, how does it work? Well, I think that's one hundred meters. <laughs> yeah, they're just trying to get kids to be skilled and fast, super league type stuff. Yep. They used to have an aquathon, but that adds another, you know, another hard event on your legs when you've already got a mixed relay and a sprint. I think they just want to add a little bit more of a skills based event. Uh, do, do, do the kids up. do Olympic? No, no, no uh, sprint, and hopefully they're going shorter than that. You know, like with our regional um, race that I run, uh, we've gone to super sprint and done that the last few years. So three hundred meters swim, nine k bike. Uh, what do we do? 3k run. You know, you want to get it fast, high action, and uh, and get it over and done with. Uh, I tell the kids, we want you to be fast, not uh, endurance junkies when you're at school. What, what um what do kids love the most? Uh, they just like cl- close racing. Yeah. You know? Um, with our regional race, it's, it is draft legal, um, but it tends not to be too much like that. But they like going head to head and and bashing each other over the head rather than the standard sort of sit on your bars and, and crank it out. Most of them like that. Um, others yeah, do like um, yeah. do like the the TT format. I guess that's pretty much this week's news. It shows you there's not much happening in this world right now. But John, there is happening on discussion of the week. So last week's discussion of the week was what non-training related changes are you making this year to get to the finish line quicker? So John, you can go first because I need to pull this up. Karis Dempster working on happiness because if I'm happy, I will train. This includes seeing friends more um, and not always going to bed because you have training in the next morning. So balance. Say yes to social activities. It's actually a really important one there, isn't it? It is. And uh, also, Game of Thrones is the last series coming out in a f- about a month. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I do not. Oh. Tried once or twice, not my cup of tea. Oh, John. It's just sex and death. <laughs> okay, well, Gail Harvey Hayward has got taking a break from triathlon life, finding my love for the sport of being to come back with renewed perspective. One other thing, while we're on Facebook, because this is where you do post um, any questions, uh, I did notice an email came through from Ironman this morning that, oh, yeah. uh, that Facebook Live is carrying on and they're potentially looking to expand it. Uh, so that was a great innovation that they brought on last year. And yeah, I'm really pleased about that. Hopefully they do some more really good highlights packages because some of those races are like watching paint dry. I tell you what, you know where you say watch paint dry? What the, <laughs> one of the most frustrating things last night when I was interviewing Erin Baker, I had to shut my computer down and restart it because the sound wasn't working. And sitting there looking at your computer screen, oh, yeah. waiting for it to turn on yeah, do it. is painful. Um, anyway, I'll go back to uh, Christine McKinley, changing my work hours to get a full um, midweek day off. And I did send Christine McKinley an email this morning because I know we, we don't want to um, we want to try to keep the happiness level up. But you know, she's the grinder. Her workplace is directly oh, next door to where um, the, the second of the mosque yeah. attacks happened. So I'm pretty sure she wasn't at work um, when it happened. But oh, people like her and the Holy Hammer, his place is not too far from the, from the big ones. So, um, Christine, hope you're all good. Andrew Bailey's got eating clean, uh, cleanly cut out processed foods to lose weight and generally stay healthier, rolling every day. 
there was quite a few people there that uh, that did mention the you know trying to lose a bit of weight. Wayne Walker uh, tracking calories. I eat healthy foods, but way too much. Um, eats so, uh, oats, seeds, porridge, honey, yogurt. You know, muesli on granola. Generally healthy, but started tracking and realised I could easily hit eight eight hundred calories for breakfast. So he's eating healthy, but he's just the old mm-hmm. eating too much. Mm-hmm. Too much. Uh, Daniel Costello's got trying to increase the amount of Sleep, I get done to that. It. Oh, okay. Uh, what about Joseph Amohu? He's Go got uh, to get to the finish line quicker by not entering the race until I'm sure I'm fit enough and illness free, which is actually a really good point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So many people turn up to a race not conditioned enough. Yeah, so good work. Penny Elliott, removing noise. So no apps after 9.30 p.m. and setting timers on them to restrict use. I've also reverted, uh, I'm not sure if this was Penny or not, I've also reverted to one solid gym day comprising a comp- compound exercises rather than anything focusing on specific muscle groups and hitting core for 20 minutes or so in the mornings at home. James Picker, listen to more Iron Talk. Go James. Go genius. And then Annette uh, Lee's got sleep. Yes. I think a few loves from that one as well. Nice. Any others, John? Uh, that's all I've got. I'll do one more. I'll do one more. Okay. Good old Mark Funky Brooks. Funkster Brooks. <laughs> Here we go. After last year where I put out the same power but went slower, I'm off to Boardman Performance Centre in the UK. They have a wind tunnel there, so seeing if there's any free speed to be had. Nice That's work. a good idea, isn't it? It's a good investment, isn't it? It is. You know, but you've always got to balance up aerodynamics with firstly with comfort, and we, we often talk about that, but also um, the power you're able to produce in an aero position. So you might get most aerodynamic, but then you're not able to produce enough power. And we had a really good example we might have spoken to before was, uh, was it Paddy Bevan? I think it was Paddy Bevan. He's a Kiwi pro cyclist, and he nearly won the Tour Down Under, but uh, crashed. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it was him. He actually raised his aero bars significantly, uh, and was able to produce so much more power. Um, oh, so he's really? Less aero, but he was able to produce more power. And why is it? Because he wasn't quicker. so bent over. Mm. Wow. And so you got to factor in, you know, power production, aerodynamics how it's going to impact you running off the bike. Um, so there's quite a few things that to go into formula, it. formula, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. But I'm sure Boardman and, and those guys uh, with their performance centre there have uh, factor all those things in. Oh, you've changed the whole topic on me. I have. Oh, well, I'm kind of okay with it because you know why? Because... Oh, wait a second. What about you? Your answer? Um, my answer, I'm, I'm focusing on a few of the little things that I'm often, like most people, a bit lazy on. So really making sure that I do get my two core sessions in per week. I I'm, I'm always get one, and I normally get two, but making sure that I get that second one in. And then uh, supplementing some, some other um, sessions with some additional core loading. You know, like my calves, they're not giving me too much problem, but I know that I've got really weak calves. So literally diarising things to make sure they happen so for me it's about doing calf raises two or three times a week and going it's happening and I'm doing them on those days are you only doing body weight or will you end up doing weighted as well Uh, I do for my calf raises I do not do body weighted but I do maximum height calf raises so a lot of people just go up and down with calf raises when I do it I'm trying to go 
as high as I possibly can uh, and I normally do them in my garage and I have a box that I that I, I do you know one or two maximum reps and then I put a get a box and it's blue tack to the wall and then I each rep I have to try to reach that um, box and so I often only do eight reps uh, and that's killing my calves rather than doing lots of low quality ones uh, and then the other thing that I'm going to start doing a lot more of is uh, swim cords which is something that I've yeah, I just want to get on top of because I only swim twice a week. I just want to try to supplement that. Uh, just try to get a bit of up, bit more upper body strength. What do you like with sleep? Uh, I get I generally get enough. I go to sleep pretty quick and and get up at five pretty much every day. So I get seven hours. That's seven seven and a half. It's about right for me. Yep. And you're a good sleeper. Pretty good. Yeah. Except. Again, I don't want to keep coming back to our tragedy, but bloody helicopters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was crazy, wasn't it? All day, every bloody day. Yeah. It's like, God. Uh, so how about you, Bevan? You've, I know you're running. Yeah, what would I do to improve my performance outside of training? Um, I've gone on top of my sleep. Uh, I, I, I just, I love that. I, the one thing I love, which I kind of do, but I kind of try to focus on doing, is just setting objectives for sessions. Mm-hmm. I reckon that's one of the most important things you can do is set your objectives so you know what you're actually trying to do when you're out there. Mm-hmm. So many people just go out and do the sessions. And, and admittedly, my objective is kind of just getting out the door right now. I'm starting to add a little bit of speed. But um, uh, yeah, so it's just kind of, I suppose, using good focus tools. Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think back to my Ironman time. If I were to do my Ironman time now with the body I had then, with the mind I had now, I just do things so much more differently because mm. I was just I, I loved training and I trained a lot but it was just a lot of training it wasn't really that kind of you know here's the plan for today which gets me to plan B, C and so on um, and so on problem reflection it would be I'd use a bit of planning but also get my mind in the space to actually be able to hit those plans so it, I suppose if anything it's giving yourself the time to do the mind work that prepares you to perform in your training. So Very good. There you go. John, so you changed it. So, and, and I'm actually, I don't mind this because if I'm, I've been listening to the first playlist. Oh, we'll discuss that in a second. So, this week's playlist. This week. So, we're looking for another playlist. Now, what we're looking for here is pre race music. Now, the first one was the interval. So, interval was kind of, you know, going to get you to work hard. A lot of hardcore stuff in there. But a lot of hardcore stuff in there. Um, whereas, this is. How you want to feel before... Now, some people do want hardcore before a race. Yes. Some people want calm, so this could be a very confusing mix. It could. Maybe you should divide it into two. I don't know. No, no, we want pre-race maybe, music. Maybe what you'll put... Here's how we're going to do it. You've got to put, what's the objective of the music for you? So you might say calm. Mm-hmm. You might say anger. So you put the, what you're trying to get from the music and then the song. And then we might have two separate playlists, yeah, do you think? Do we're going to have yeah. the calm and, and the yeah. anger. So no, I did a, uh, I, I'm sitting here hydrating, I need to go for a pee in a second, yep, because I did right a trainer session this morning, and uh, and I don't have a fan at the moment, oh. so man, why I do, sweated why do you up a, fan? a storm, oh, I just don't have one, it broke, mm. so I'm sweat, I was sweating up a storm, did about 75 minutes, actually rode on Zwift, I do very, very little on Zwift. Um, did you like it? Uh, it's what I like about it, really cool with a smart trainer is when you're on a course, it's varying the the the, the terrain. So you got some hills in there, and so you're sitting there changing gears. So the session that I did was basically one hour. I'm looking at doing one hour at Ironman effort, and so rather than just sitting there riding at a X wattage, um, then I'm actually having to concentrate. You're going up and down. I don't get motivated by the other people that are on there, um, but I like the fact that there's a, there's a variance in load. You can get that from Perf Pro, but if you're on say Trainer Road. Then it's kind of like just flatlining, and you're just doing the work. Wait a second. Uh, so with Swift, when it when it does do that, 
is it, is it staggered or is it actually quite smooth when it's taking you through it? Well, it depends a little bit on, on the trainer device, that you've got. Yeah. Um, so like a, a Neo, which is the top line one, then that's smooth and that's um, so really different on the downhill. But on the kicker, it's um, it's great. So yeah, uh, so it was it was good for the what purpose. Do pay, what do you pay for Swift? Um, I think it's like 20, it's, it's going up all the time. It's like 20 bucks a month or something okay. like that. Um but I did. I didn't. Uh, I had pl- the playlist playing at the same time. There's some good songs on this. A lot of my classic favourites. You know, a bit of Cypress Hill. Yeah. Um, a bit of Rage Against the Machine. Yep, that was good too. And then Du Hast. Was oh, Du Hask. Du Hask. Is that? I presume that's German. It's an old German. Yeah, like old. Congratulations to the listeners. It was. It's past my. Now we've got rid of Brian Adams. I think we're all feeling good. If Brian Adams had come on, I think my power would drop by about 20 watts. And But overall, it was really good. So we're now creating a new playlist. And the new playlist is going to be what you need to listen to before the race. And that's ultimately trying to get you in the mental space to be able to perform in your race. So we'll put that up and you can go put your song on there so, so we can get it. And then also maybe the kind of energy you're trying to create with it as well. Take a pause, Bevan. Take a pause. He's going to the toilet. And we are back, John. Let's do a sponsor. Extreme endurance. It's lactic buffer. I've got quite a few athletes that are getting sick at the moment. It does, but oh, really? from a coaching point of view, so frustrating when athletes get sick. Yeah. It screws up your periodization. You know, well, yeah, you're supposed to be halfway through this block and your easy week's coming up in three weeks and now we've got to change it. It just screws everything up. So don't get sick. Yeah. That's my first thing. Okay, so stop being sick. Stop being sick. Get yourself some immune boosts, guys. If you guys are coming through the tail end of winter, especially if you've got kids and stuff, and my kids are getting both sick at the moment, so popping the immune boost, making sure that I'm doing everything I can to try to stay healthy. And I've got so many anecdotal stories of people that pump the immune boost whenever they feel that tickle coming on, and you just seem to... Box on through. Of course, you still need to really focus on your nutrition and especially your hydration, but you really want to try to minimize that sickness. So um, wherever you are in the world at the moment, the seasons are changing, which is kind of sucks for us down here because... It's getting uh, darker, it's getting isn't it, John? <laughs> a lot oh. earlier. And for you guys on the other side of the uh, world, it is obviously starting to improve, but you're still probably getting some shitty days. So help yourself to stay in shape and stay healthy by using Immune Boost. So check it out at xendurance.com. If you're in the European countries, uh, you can use the promo code IMTALK25. If you're on using the .com, you order it, and they basically, at the moment, they're doing a, their system's not, they've got a new system in place. And if you are looking at trying to make a little bit of extra money on the side, go and check out the program that they've actually got running now, and you can kind of, it's, it's kind of like an affiliate club program okay. and so if you join up to that then you get your 25% discount um, plus if you get others to, to join your group then it's it's not pyramid, pyramid selling but go in there and check it out um, you can save yourself quite a bit of money and if you get others involved as well um, you can get yourself sorted out as well so check it all out xendurance.com stay nice and healthy and get on the immune boost John are we doing your coach's corner? yes okay everyone coach's, coaches corner. corner tell me how do you do a blind session, John? This is going to be quite quick. When when I left here last week, Bevan, what did I say to you? Do you, you remember? You said, I am a legend. Watch me go. Well, no, this is what I would have said after I'd finished my oh, training okay. session. Oh, okay. I can't imagine what you said to me. Well, I was leaving. I said, bloody hell, bike computer's about to die. Oh, that's right. Yep. 
What uh, am I going to do? I'm lost. No, I said, I'm just going to be a blind ride today. So, so wait, did you close your eyes the whole ride? Yes. That's impressive, mate. Go <laughs> back well in one piece. <laughs> That's really good. So my typical Tuesday ride, oh, typically I go swimming in the morning, come up, and then uh, we do the podcast. I bike up here. I have to get up Bevan's That's goddamn <laughs> hell. Uh, and the new place where he lives on the TT bike is a bit of a struggle. Uh, it's very steep. It's the reason I stopped riding a bike for transport, to be honest. Oh, it was getting out of here. I have really seriously contemplated buying an electric bike. I'd do it. Yeah, because it's like, I don't need an electric bike. Because like, from here to, to the gym, which is most of my transport, mm. it's 10 minutes on a bike. Mm-hmm. Whereas biking home, <laughs> last yeah. just does not appeal to me. It's what I do is bike up here and then uh, bike down the hill and then I've got a a 35k loop that I do and I typically go out and just do that at Ironman Effort uh, and Ironman Power. Sorry? What's that wattage? So that's 235 watts. Um, well, that's that's what when I'm in good shape, that's what I can sustain. That's what I did and, and wrote. So I go out and do that loop, and then I've got to really lug myself back up this damn hill to pick up my laptop and, and then go back home. And so why, last, why, why, don't you, why don't you just ride past home quickly? I could do that. Because yeah, that's way faster than riding back up this but damn it hill. It is quite good to have a hill at the end of the okay. session. And your old venue, your old house well, was, venue, was okay. Yeah. <laughs> But the new one, I have contemplated doing that. So anyway, my bike computer was running out, and I thought, oh, great. Uh, so anyway, if you've got a Garmin, what happens is they go into sleep mode, and so then it's still recording all your data, but it's doing in the background, you can't see it. Yep. So I went down the hill, pressed my lap button where I normally press it, and thought, right, well, I'll ride an hour at Ironman Effort. And based on feel. Based off feel. Come out the other side, and uh, and I'm just be interested to see what I come out with. So with before it. you tell me the numbers, yes, how did it feel? It felt good, but it added a layer of stress because I do love my numbers. Uh, but it added a layer of stress, going, mm, this, I think this is about right. Maybe it feels a little bit too hard, but it's a great exercise, and it's something I don't do enough of. And a, and a lot of athletes that I coach, I don't get them to do enough. So if you're listening to this and I coach you, it's coming. Guess what's coming your way. <laughs> Uh, it's one of those things that does come and go for me, but uh, it was it was really good. And and one of the reasons why it's really good is if your device dies on race day, you're kind of a bit screwed. Yep. If you if you live and die by your numbers, so having this exercise was was really good on that front. So I was going out and trying to air, uh, average 235 watts. Uh, no, 235 watts. I generally try to ride at 90, about 90 RPM when I'm doing Ironman effort. And the hope is when I'm riding at that sort of power that my heart rate is mid-135s. Um, when I'm a little bit more out of shape like I am at the moment or I haven't done as much conditioning, might be a little bit higher, but that's about the sort of power that I that I try to get. Uh, what do you think I got, Bevan? Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, so if, if I'm thinking you did really well, so mm. it's either you went a little bit faster than what you thought you were or you were spot on. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking I was going to be a little bit low. As it turned out, 235 watt average. Oh, really? 135 heart rate and 89 RPM. Wow. It was 237 normalized power. But uh, yeah, I, I, you couldn't look at all. And so I was literally pressed the lap button at the one hour mark and I saw 235 and I thought, good shit. Wow. On the money. So it's just a, a good exercise for everybody to do out there. It's, it's a so lot. is it reflective of the fact that you kind of, ultimately your body does know? Well, also there's that repetitive nature that it's a loop that I do every week, um, and so I kind of know how it should feel. Um, so there's that aspect 
obviously I've got a lot more experience than other people. Um, so yeah, that was just overall it was really good and something I think all you guys should go out and do. A lot more difficult when you're doing sort of FTP type sessions or, or really high intensity. But if you're going out and you're doing say an hour or two at Ironman effort, do this exercise and uh, it will help you get your... Yeah, and, and then you go in and have a look at how, how you actually gathered those numbers so what I did I got my 235 watts and I thought mm, I wonder how that was actually distributed whether I, I thought I faded a little bit towards the end but as it turned out I, I didn't really um, I actually got, got a little bit better towards the end when it actually felt um, felt like I was actually putting out less power so then with that with okay so you the, the experience was it seemed a little bit harder and it seemed like you're fading mm. but the numbers didn't actually reflect that yeah if you'd had the numbers in front of you what do you think would have happened? Well, mentally? Mentally, I probably would have thought, well, oh, this is get, it's getting quite easy towards the end. I mean, it takes me a long time to warm up, and that's one of the things that I accept when I'm out racing as well, is often for me, my perceived effort early in the race is quite hard, um, but the power numbers are about right. For most people, it's the complete opposite. Uh, they're having to hold themselves back early on. Yeah. So as you get older, well, certainly as I get older, um, it just takes a while to get the old engine warmed up. Mm. Mm. So it's a good, good exercise. So, so ultimately, it's actually mentally harder to do it. Yes and no, you know, because there's just that constant, am I going right here? Am I going right here? Am I going right so it's here? doubt. Mm. Yeah, okay. Whereas um, when you're riding along and you're just staring at the numbers, it is just more going right. yeah. concentrating. Yeah. Okay, uh, we've got an interview coming off the legend that is Aaron Baker. It's about the, the, the what do we call it? The gods. God. Greatest of the decade. Greatest of the decade, all leading towards the, the goat. So we'll get there eventually, team. Uh, here is Aaron Baker. Hey guys, uh, so as you've heard on the show, we're going to talk a bit more about some of our past legends and to kick it all off, we're actually going to start with the females of the 80s and we've got a lady who was amongst uh, the, the very best of them at the time who can tell us a, bit, a lot more about this than I can because my knowledge of the females of the 80s was, is uh, fairly limited to a handful. So we've got Erin Baker back on the show, so welcome back Erin. Thank you, John. Tell us a bit about your sort of start in triathlon in the 80s, when you sort of started and what the, the lay of the land was like in terms of the, you know, the profession, whether or not you could make money as a, as a female and, and what, what the scene was like and how that sort of changed through the 80s. Um, well, I got into triathlon in Australia. I won't go on about it a lot, but um, through working in Sydney, and um, I did a couple of little events. Well, they actually weren't that little. I did an event very local to where I worked, and it was about a, at least a half-distance event. So it was actually quite long. It was through the Royal National Park. And um, I think I won that event and then sort of got all excited about triathlon and went and did a few more races around Australia, maybe like the Coral Coast, and then – sort of getting close to doing Noosa. Um, and there was a the, the woman I can remember actually who might have got second in all of those events and actually beat me maybe in one of them was a woman called Chris Canning. And she was probably the only woman that I could remember in the first few races I did. Um, then very quickly we got um, – I did that first Ironman in Australia sort of got into foot of more full-time training um, and that's when I did that first Ironman in 
foster tongue curry, mm. and that's sort of when I got I you know raced against the Sylvian and Patricia Puntus. So that was sort of you know big deal. And that race I remember very clearly had twelve thousand Australian dollars. <laughs> um, so that was a lot of money, and um, I won that. And so that sort of launched me into becoming a professional triathlete. Um, and, you know, I just started racing more. Went, went really quickly into Europe at that stage because of my association with John Hallamans, who seemed to hook me up with some deal with Koga Mayata, yeah. um, which was a bike year company, and sort of just did a few races. I think maybe the um, European maybe again half Ironman in a place called Emmernstad, which won't, any, won't be anything like I just project, pronounced it. And that's when I met up with the likes of, say, Sarah Springman, maybe Sarah Coop, um, people like that, maybe the Mouton sisters, but if it wasn't at that time, that's when it all came into play. And um, got a sponsorship um, because of the European champs probably from Lecoq Sportif, who were definitely the um, the USTS of Europe European Triathlon, and they had their own series, and it was sort of like this funny little dream come true—a dream I actually never even had. But we would have lots of races in the summer, and Coxwood Teeth looked after a team, of which I was in the team, and I think Sarah Coop was the Mouton Sisters, Sarah Springman perhaps, and. Um, started racing mainly in Europe and every weekend in these gorgeous little French towns. Um, I can't remember most of the guys in the men's team, but Jürgen Zach was with Lecoq Sportif as well. So, you nice. know, that was a complete and utter dream because Lecoq Sportif just, you know, we had hotels and planes and flights and, yeah. you know, and, and, but they did it also in a very French way. You know, there'd always be huge dinners before <laughs> and after and you'd go for lunch. I remember being in Portugal and you were like sitting in some grand hotel in Portugal. I swear to goodness me, it must have been three or four hours for dinner. So yeah. they sort of did the, the European way of being, you know, of everything that you have to eat very well before you do anything. And, um, but yeah, it was a real. It was a cool time, and even though I guess, as I always was, I was very serious. It was, you know, um, a, you know, it was a great time to be in the sport, and I didn't actually realise how how lucky I was. T t you, you mentioned earlier there the Puntos sisters, and they're two females that I know very limited amount of uh, information on. Mm. I know that one year one of them got disqualified in Kona, having I think won the event. I know they both had successful careers and were you know there or thereabouts on the podium in Kona. So to tell us a bit about them, what they were like how good they were and whether they really – I know one year I think you, you beat one of them by about a minute and a half to win a Kona title. So, so what, what, tell us about them. I mean, well, they, they were the women of triathlon. They were the, the people that – you know, people talked about the, the big four guys, but Sylvia and Patricia were the, the, were the women. And, you know, they – you're not allowed to say these things anymore, but they had everything going for them and they were also very – I felt – you know, they were attractive women. They had, I think, very good sponsorship. They, you know, had great bodies. They were sort of fun to be around. They were quiet. But I think I, because I was, you know, always a bit odd or different, you know, we, we got on really well. I enjoyed them. And, and um, 
and as much as you ever get to socialise with people, that we did. I mean, I would hang out with them, especially after events. But, you know, they sent, set a very high benchmark at that stage. Um, they were particularly good runners, you know. Um, mm. It was always being the run that I'd be worried about them, where they were, or if they were ahead of me, then it was going to be hard. If they were behind me, well, I'd be, you know, continually, you know, worried they were going to catch up. But they, um, I think, Patricia, but I could be wrong. No, one of them seemed to have won more events, but mm. they definitely were both. You know, you know. I guess it was a little bit like the Williams sisters in tennis, but um, I they they seemed to not choose which races one was going to win and one wasn't. But you know, they were both ex- very, very, very good and mm. seemed to maybe even push each other because. I would imagine early on, um, before I came on the scene, they must have had a lot of events in America where they came first and second. Mm. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I think it was, you know, I, I can't actually remember the details of them getting disqualified in Hawaii, mm. but I know what it's like to get disqualified in a major event. You know, I got disqualified in Nice one year, and I think it was probably quite, well, it would have been shattering. I remember at Nice being shattered mm. and I'm sure equally these two would have been whichever one won the other one would have felt it just as much um being disqualified in Hawaii I mean it, it would have been shattering and, and as I said I don't really re- remember the details I don't think I was there that year um but I know that you know that's something that's been very hard for them to forgive because I asked where they were at the you know um Ironman Hall of Fames and um, awards last year, and they said they don't really hear much from the girls, which is a shame because they were the big four of women. Yeah. Now another name that gets banded around a lot, and um, uh, yeah, Ju- Julie Moss, because for the infamy of yeah. the, the year that she she uh, she had her um, calamity in in yeah. So yeah, d- d- what sort of an athlete was she like? Because I'm pretty sure she came out to Christchurch one year, um, and I think she sort of improved quite quickly but she, she I, I don't think and you can correct me if I'm wrong she was like one of the the big four and, and a real dominant player but you know tell people about what what she was like as an athlete well I, I think everything you've said is quite right when she also was quite early early than me to the sport she um you know was married to Mark and certainly a partner of Mark Allen you know a few years before she married him she, she came out here with him and that we had some you know horrendous training sessions and mm-hmm. she was sort of similar to me in, in that she was a very competitive with the other woman she was you know around and that tends actually to be a woman thing mm-hmm. but again she said um you know, she still she was always a, there, and and of course Hawaii, you know, became legendary for her. But she set an, a great example, I think, in other ways. She, mm. you know, I, she's a woman I admire. She's a woman that spoke well. She's a woman that looked after herself. She, you know, we have a funny story about her because when she um, was, you know, close to you know getting engaged to Mark and they were living together, Mark Allen, she would. Tell she wouldn't go to the bathroom in their flat because she didn't want, you know, Mark to wake up in the morning and have a smelly toilet. So she was always, <laughs> she was really, you know, I she was always into making sure you looked, you know, like you had to look professional and look good. And I remember once her telling me off and at, at not looking well enough in my, you know, Reebok gear or whatever. And then I remember her on another, you know, occasion saying when I actually, you know, must have been wearing my gear right and had a better haircut or something, she said, now that's the way you should look. So <laughs> I think she held, you know, held us, made us have a, 
a high standard in the you know the other aspects of triathlon um, as well. So, but yes, so Julie was always a high place getter, um, but probably one at the, the top end. Once I was at my best. I would be thinking, well, you know, Julie will hopefully will be coming in behind me mm. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm somebody who I've got to, you know, had the fortunate, been fortunate to get to know um, the last sort of year and a half or so is Jan Wanklin. So there's yes. two, the two Jans. You had Jan Wanklin and Jan Ripple. Yes. And I yes. know a reasonable amount about Jan Wanklin in terms of yes. fantastic runner and, and won a lot of Ironman races. I know very little about Jan Ripple. So maybe talk about the, the two Jans a little bit. Yeah, well, and I was going to mention Jan early on. When you know, when I got into Australia, I don't, I don't remember, but maybe she was at that um, Toys Great Lakes Triathlon. Um, you know, I wish I remember now, but she was, she was definitely around the scene very early on. She was the one. She had a friend, um, Erica Bates, who made first triathlon suits that we knew of huh. and they were very good and I've got pictures you know and so Erica Bates via Jan Wanklin made us our triathlon suits which are really no different than they are today and Jan was saying she was tenacious she was good great great swimmer she was always out of the water early um, and she was uh, still you know I don't think I ever got anywhere near as good as her on the swim she's been she's been a lifelong friend and still loves sport still does it passionately but um, she, she, from Australia's point of view, she was probably the early international success. I and mean, she, I'm, I remember one of my best ever races at Nice um, when I was absolutely flying. She came second to me, and um, you know, you know, she was many, many races. I wish I could remember them all. And I wish, you know, I, maybe she was at the Toys Great Lakes one, that first mm-hmm. one. Maybe she was. She was because she was a very early into the sport. You know, if it wasn't that year, she was into it the next year. And as far as Jan Ripple goes, it's, you know, um, the what we'd call the first, you know, um, official world championships, which was in Avignon. Jan was the one that pushed me that whole event, which was a bit surprising because Jan, she was always Jan Ripple was a bigger woman, strong as you know, f- physically arms to die for and you know strong strong body I mean she looked like a bodybuilder but she she wasn't um and she she just um yeah she was the one that you know nearly upset my first official world championships in uh in Avignon because she was ahead of me on the bike Mm. and so you know being that it was the first official world championship I had to actually run her down, and and sometimes when I'm in, I wasn't so good. I never, I always wanted to be in front by the run. So mm. she nearly displaced me. But yeah, she was she's a great natural um, athlete as as her and her daughter was, and then I guess her granddaughter is now. So mm. yeah, and was Jane Ritchie around that sort of era as well, or did she yeah, come she a was. later? No, well she she of course almost upset my the Kelowna World Championships, and that was in '88. Yeah. And uh, and also another very big, strong woman. I think she um, – well, I, I know at one stage she was the world indoor rowing champion. Nice. So she, you know, about that same time actually, big, strong, tall. And um, Kelowna, I think, was her hometown, or certainly she was Canadian anyway. And she nearly upset that race because she was, you know, on the bike. She was, again, she was ahead of me. And it's only because of her sheer size. And she was, I don't know, she wasn't 6'2", but – to me, she seems six two and you know, hundred kilos. 
she um, couldn't run quite as fast. But she, I think, you know, there was quite a strong triathlon scene going on at Canada at that time. So I didn't meet her so much in any events, certainly no events in Europe and maybe only a few when I got to the United States. Um, Colleen Cannon, someone I've heard you talk about before, yeah. is, is one of the few people that you um, actually you spent quite a bit of time training with um, in terms yeah. of you, you often did a lot of training by yourself. So what, what about her? Yeah, well, she was probably the only woman that I did train with a lot and, um, you know, I great friends with Colleen. And she met – I met her at one of the very early Today FM triathlons in Sydney and that might have been the second or third year I was in triathlon, so maybe the 84 five time, you know, time. And that was a crazy time because Australia had really thrown itself into triathlon and it had all sorts of managers and events and it had prize money and it had this event in Sydney Today FM, which is a radio station, I believe. And, and you know, the big guys had come out from it. I think Scott was there and Scott Tinley and, and Colleen was there and, and they were all staying at the... Uh, the Siebel Townhouse, which is where all, like, you know, Michael Jackson or that's probably not a good choice of persons, but, you know, all the famous used to stay at. And uh, and that was a strange event because you had to stop at the traffic lights. <laughs> and it was like, but, you know, of course some people didn't and then did you not or should you not? But anyway, Colleen was hilarious because I'd never met anyone that, I didn't know a thing about supplementation or vitamins. And she's the most giving woman I'd ever met in my entire life and still is the most giving woman. So she invites me up to her room. She's got, like, you know, a whole cupboard of pills. And I think, oh, my God, this is what they mean by druggies. And, I was just like, oh. and she's busy giving me tri-suits and this suit and that suit and helmets. And she's just, she was always so giving. And, and if you know Colleen Cannon, which I know, you know, to today, yeah. she is this most natural herbalist woman. So, you know, anything she would be taking would be like echinacea or, yeah. you know, ginseng or things I'd never heard of and still don't know because that's how she was. She's the most beautiful, natural. And, you know, had a crazy, um, in America she was, like went to Alabama, which is like a one of those universities where girls were just meant to be cheerleaders. And she was odd one out I think she formed the first like lacrosse team there and got them into cross country and made this you know the university have those things because they never had them and truly you were only meant to be a cheerleader and um she so she got that all going down there and very early on and she, and she you know again she won she won a lot of races and was very very dominant um on the USTS scene and and a very talented athlete you know right through to uh, she didn't do a lot of Ironmans but certainly the nice distance type that she did and and she yes she was one of the only few women that I used to love to train with and you know train with a lot over the years one name that Scott sent through that I have not heard of much at all before maybe just heard either him or you talking in passing um Linda Buchanan so maybe tell us yeah. what, what she did and what distances and, and how good she was well, she was that same sort of early era. She would have been doing USTS events and certainly won uh, and placed in several of them. She would have been, again, probably, you know, your big four. In men, she would have been placing, you know, first, second and third, like the, like the guys were in most events. Um, the, her, the, the time that I remember her most wellest, or it ended up being not well, but it wasn't her fault, was um, she won Nice the year I got disqualified, mm. which was very hard on her because, of course, it was none of her fault, yet it was a difficult time for me. And, 
you know, probably detracted from her um, overall win. But she um, she was a, a, a tall woman. Um, uh, I don't I didn't hang out a lot with her. I was really doing a lot more in Europe when she was, you know, racing in America. But um, you know, she obviously was good enough to get. And and, I, and in Hawaii, I'm, she must have placed, I believe, in one of the Ironmans, if not more. Mm. But um, you know, she and another there was another woman. Um, oh, she, she became a lawyer. Um, Joanne Ernst. Uh, oh yes, yes. Joanne Ernst won um, Kona in '85. So they they I think did the sport and did as well as they could have. You know, they thought they could do at a good level, high level, and then went on and got into their own careers. So they mm. didn't sort of muck. You know, didn't stay in it for another ten or so years. They they did did well at it. And then decided they'd got as far as they could, and, and then both. I, I don't know what Linda's um, career was, but I know she had a professional career. And Joanne Ernst became a lawyer, if not a doctor, after that as well. So they were just women that did it at the time, but then was like, that's enough now, we've done enough, and we're moving on. Um, and I don't know if this next one is, is more for the 90s, um, but was Karen Smyers around sort of in the, the latter part of, of sort of the 80s, or was she more into the 90s? <laughs> Well, she was definitely in, around the late eighties as well. Um, I used to really enjoy Karen. She was just always hilarious. She had a, a partner and then became her husband, who owned like one of those bars, like that Cheers bar, and oh, had yeah. the program Cheers. And she was just always funny. She 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 loved to just have a good time. So she was way less serious than me, and I actually really liked her. I don't, you know, it's funny because there's a lot of people I didn't get along well with, but you know, she um. She might have, I think she won that the world champs that they had at Disneyland in um, Florida. Oh, Orlando, yeah, 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 Orlando. I'm pretty sure she won that. And then, of um, course, I think she she won Ironman, didn't she? She, she won did, Ironman. Yeah. She did. And yeah, she was always up. She was she was a she was a um, she was a great all rounder. So very often, you know, I you know remember when I did the Dan Skin Women's Series and her. McKaylee and I were sort of dominant at the time and you know we would have that Danskin Women's Series because they were such short events what you know they'd call just a sprint nowadays we would be you know dueling it out to the death and all of us could you know swim bike and run then especially the run part and so that was probably as close as we got with um, McKaylee Jones and Karen and myself to what the you know the girls do now because you know they're sometimes just seconds you know in it. Um, so yeah, then, but then Karen, you know, obviously she went on after I'd retired, and she, I think she still competed, you know, reasonably, and still does compete. Yeah. But yeah, she she was a very strong, but real fun. Her her and Colleen got on well too. They were just fun. They were just like, and Karen Smyers loved beer. That was always, nice. always love to go and have a beer, yeah. Helps that she's got a husband that owns a bar there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the last one I've got is obviously Paula Newby-Fraser. And, you know, when we all picture Paula, we just picture her killing it in Kona, and we know you you guys had a couple of really good jewels over there. But maybe just tell us a bit about her outside of Kona in terms of her performances and whether she was anywhere near as good as she was in Kona elsewhere. Well, you know, definitely Kona was her thing. There's no doubt about that. That's obviously what she focused on, what she was best at. And she did a lot more Ironmans than me. If you look at my how many I did, I didn't do that many. So she was doing a lot more. And so 
her attention definitely wasn't on the whole sprint thing. Mm. She wasn't doing the USTSs and she wasn't doing the European thing when I was. I mean, I don't think she was in the uh, event sport then. And I can't actually remember Paula even doing knee. So she did a few other events. I remember like Chicago sometimes and a few others like that, which were, you know, good races to do and had good prize money and good profile. But her, her you know, from my recollection and from my perspective, it was always, you know, I wouldn't have so much worried about Paula in a sprint event, mm. but it was always just the Ironmans that she, you know, she dominated and she was good at them. And but as yeah, so not so much in any of the. But wherever I went to and did um, Ironmans, I mean, she she beat me in most of them. Mm. You know, Japan and Canada and other places. She, she she just used to win most of them. So that's really my, you know. Racing with Paula was Ironmans for me, mm. not sprints. So when, when you were you know, in the 80s, uh, and I know your career sort of did span into the 90s as well, um, when you're on the start line, maybe of more of a short course race, you know, who did any put, anybody put the fear of God into you? Like, are you going, oh, man, I've got to be on my game to beat that person? Or, or were you generally out there just to, to do your thing and go as fast as you could and you'd finish wherever you did? Yeah, well, in, initially I didn't know anybody. So, yeah, I was just like, you know, go, go for it. Just go as hard as you can. And, you know, and, and then as I got to know people, you know, you got to work out where you were in the pe pecking order. Um, the, the Puntus twins, you know, they were the ones really, the ones that I would be thinking, you know, if they were in the race of the woman that uh, we've talked about today, it would be them I'd be thinking, they'll be the ones that are going to be the ones to worry about. So for me, it was basically always them. There were a couple of other women that used to have standout races, like Joy Hansen and Julie Olson, and they, you know, were always in the sort of top seven or eight. But occasionally they'd just have standout races. And I remember Joy Hansen beating me in Bermuda, and that was a big money event. Mm -hmm. um, but I, if, if you, you know, for me, if there was the standout, would always have been probably, you know, Sylvian and Patricia. Mm. And if things change, you know, you obviously exited the sport um, when you did, and you went off and, and had your career, like you mentioned, some of the other females did as well. Um, how, how to sort of, you know, um, when you get called the greatest of eras and things like that, how does how does that sort of sit with you? You know, one of our listeners said, "How do you feel with the title of you know greatest of a decade for a period?" Does do you care? Does does it does it is it how you think about it changed recently? I know you were back in in Hawaii last year, or have you just kind of moved on and that was just that part of your life? Yeah, you know, it was. I've never liked titles in in any regard like that. I mean, you you even hear it. You know, I can't name specifics, but I remember last year, such and such the greatest rugby player ever, and then on the year two years or ten years before, that one was the greatest ever, ever. I think they're really silly titles. Yeah. You know, you can say that person's had an exceptional year or a couple of, you know, had a you know a great de uh, decade where they did extremely well. But, you know, I, I just, those sort of titles just do nothing for me. And in general, I think they um, are pretty much just someone decides to make a statement and, oops, that's it, that one's the greatest, you know, yeah. ever. And, and the problem with it is it's very it's a shallow thing and it it rules out so many other people that may have been as good or whatever but might have actually been more influential mm -hmm. in the era for for other things they did and so i absolutely you know never cared about those things um i always 
now that, you know, it was nice, lovely to be in Hawaii, but, you know, who's ever the greatest now or being, a, it's, I just think it's, it's, it's more of a trap. It's only something to fall into. And, um, and it's, yeah, I think, you know, we have to be a bit more mature about putting, you know, the greatest ever tennis player in the history of, I mean, you've got to look at where people were in their era and just say, yeah, they did great for their era and what they had available to them, the resources at the time. You're on the same page as me and it's music to my ears because Bevan's <laughs> on the other page and I'm going to be slamming <laughs> that down his throat. <laughs> um, one, one question we had from a, from a listener, Shy, he said, um, how fast do you reckon you, you could have gone for a marathon? I know you did have a period where you really did concentrate on your running. Did, did, you, did you feel like you reached your maximum potential um, over the marathon? And if you didn't, how fast do you think you could have gone? Well, I mean, I did it, I think, a 2.33. Um, I really thought at Chicago one year I would do something like a 2.28, 29, mm. um, but I just ran it poorly in experience. So I think that was, re- that was where maybe my potential was if I look at other um, races that I did, you know, other times that I did. Um, so... You know, even at, I think, well, maybe it was 2.33 at Chicago and I had a terrible event or Pittsburgh, or maybe it was, and, and I cramped and I stopped and I walked. So, but I, you know, it's a, people would tell you um, at the time, you know, you, you've got to be all in or not. Mm. And I was trying to be sort of in because I really wanted to be a runner, but triathlon was my bread and butter. Mm. And so, you know, I was sort of quite not all in. But having said that, you know, there might have been a little bit of, you know, when you're all in, the pressure's so enormous, maybe I wouldn't have done what I thought I could do. So I, I'm, I'm happy with my 2.33 and, uh, you know, it might have been nice to say you broke 2.30, but, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm. Um, anything else you've sort of got on, the, on that sort of period of the 80s or any, you know, anybody you think we might have missed off that list? I, one other name that I had down was Terry Schneider. I think she got third in Kona one year, about 1990. Oh, that'd be right. Um, yeah. Well, um, I, you know, the, 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 in Europe, there are the, uh, two women uh, who we call them the Mouton sisters. Yes. Um, Isabel Mouton, they, they – they were very, very good athletes, and I think they were with the, tri- the Lecoxville teeth team as well. And I think Isabel might have won Nice once, yeah. and maybe. And so they were, they were very um, much up there. And Sarah Coop, mm-hmm. um, she married, and you'll remember the guy she married. He was a triathlete. Um, I'm struggling with his name. Yeah, no, I can't think of it either, but I, yeah, I do he, remember he, the name. Yeah. And so Sarah Coop was also, she was a British athlete. So Sarah Coop and Sarah Springman mm-hmm. were the, the British ones. And um, so they were, they were very influential in Europe. And Sarah Springman you know, has become extremely influential mm. in, in triathlon. But they, and I used to go um, to, to Britain and train with Sarah Springman and when she lived in Cambridge. And, uh, but yeah, and Sarah Coop as well. They, they were, you know, they were leading triathlon in their part of the world, which was, you know, Great Britain at the time, and so they shouldn't be forgotten either. Fantastic. Oh, no, that's been a fantastic trip down memory lane, Erin. So thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to getting Scott on to talk a bit more about the, the fellas of the 80s. And uh, we, we're going to go through each decade. Excellent. Sounds great. Awesome. Thanks, Erin. You're welcome, John. So unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to listen to it. Did you name a god? We did not. And Erin. Is that because it is her? 
well, this is what I can I can give my sort of uh, synopsis of it now as well. Okay, let's do it. So we did. We talked about quite a few athletes, as you guys heard. Um, we didn't talk extensively about Aaron, but. What I would want to do in the future years, uh, future decades, is to bring some stats into it. Thorson, if you're keen to do this. Come on, Thorson, do your homework. Do your homework. Got yourself a job. But the problem with the 80s is not that much stats. So there's Kona stats, um, but in terms of USAT, Tri-Series, European stuff, there's no results anywhere. Well, I would say there's no results anywhere. It's few and far between. Yeah. So here's my little synopsis of the, you know, the some of the main players we talked about. So Aaron, and, and, and we are just talking the 80s here. We're not yep. talking 80s and 90s. So, so from 1980 through 1989. Yeah. So Erin had one Kona win, and she had a second. She had, I'm pretty sure I've got this right, she had two unofficial world titles in terms of short course. She may have had more. I know they had an unofficial world champs in 87 and 88. Pretty sure she won both of those. And then she did win the first official world championship short course in Avignon. Um, and then she had lots of success uh, at short course. What about um, um, Nice? Nice, yeah. I don't know how many Nice titles uh, she got. Good question. Because uh, that, that was Kona is. Mm, the equivalent yeah the equal wasn't it yeah so and I'm, I'm sure well I know she got disqualified there I don't know how many nest titles she got so Erin big difference as you guys know she did it over all distances um, whether it be sprint triathlon Olympic nest distance Ironman um, so that was kind of Erin's you know a few of Aaron's stats. Paula Newby-Fraser, um, she had three Kona wins in the 80s and three podiums as you heard from Erin. She did well at a few other Ironmans but limited short course success and then the other one that I didn't quite realise she did quite as well the Puntos sisters which we did discuss uh, she had two Kona wins uh, so this is Sylvia and Puntos and three second places plus pretty sure it was Sylvianne got disqualified from Kona one year as well when she'd won Why? the race Why? for drafting oh really yeah and the, after the, after she'd won the yeah, race done the full race and then get disqualified so they didn't give you penalties back in those days it was impressive well, the story goes, they weren't sure, because she'd had a twin sister, that they'd got the right person. Oh, the way. And so they were like, oh, God, what are we doing here? And I think they went back to the footage and just double-checked or something like that. Uh, I don't know the whole story. Oh, that's poor story. form of the organisers. Well, this, yeah, this is the 80s. It was pretty lax back then. Oh, BB, you are, like... After the race, you've completed the. You've, you've won it. Punished. You've gone across the finish line. Your arms in the air. Yeah. Ooh, I never knew that story. Yeah. So, and I, I want to get them on, but it's, if anybody knows the Puntos sisters or has got connections to them, let us know because I would love to get them on the show. Mm. So, I guess for me, and I, and I think this is a fairly universal, is most people probably consider Erin to be the greatest of the of the eighties. Especially when you factor in across all distances, I think it's fairly undisputed. Well, you know, Sylvia and Puntos. When you compare her against Paul and Yubi Fraser, Yubi Fraser had three wins, three podiums. She had two wins, maybe a third, and three seconds. Would you say? But would you tight. say later in the decade it was a harder race to win? Yeah, you would say that. But the but Sylvia and Puntos, you know, one year when Erin won, she was only a minute and a half behind. She was competitive with Aaron and with uh, Paul and Newby Fraser certainly in the early years so and she would have been getting to the later part of her career then mm, so in terms of short course and overall you've got to say Aaron. in terms of long course it's almost a tie between those three I reckon between Aaron because Aaron did other races Paula was a Kona crusher but so was Sylvia and Puntos so and if we're going just 80s it very much outside of Kona they all were pretty dominant in the races they did. Well, Erin 
yeah, Aaron was the most dominant. And no, but not just in short course and long course. Yeah, there was a few other players, but those they were the the main contenders. So, so you're saying Aaron is the god of the decade. Yep. Overall triathlete. Yep. Long course, we'll say it's a bit of a tie. Yep. Yep. Um, and then short course, we'd say Aaron's number one. Yep. Okay. So I know it's, it's, it's been fun for me just talking about some of those names I know nothing about that you guys will have heard of and uh, just creating a little bit of history. And I think what we might do is put, uh, further down the track is start putting a couple of these together to put on our Legends show so they stay there. So we might do, we have a chat to Scott about the 80s and so we might have on the Legends show, put the women of the 80s, men of the 80s, yeah. tie those two interviews together and then uh, put them up on Legends. Did Erin cross over into the 90s much? Yes, she won a. I think she won nineteen. She either won nineteen ninety or nineteen ninety one. That's, that's the ITU, isn't it? No, Kona. Oh, okay. Uh, she won the Commonwealth Games in nineteen ninety, and yes, I think I know Scott went until ninety four because I know that he raced at the ITU World Champs in Wellington ninety four. Erin was done and dusted by then, so I suspect she probably stopped maybe ninety two, ninety three. Okay. Mm. Yeah, because we understand when we look at the nineties, it's always that crossover period where you got people who, like the late nineties and going into two thousand. Whereas if someone who's had their whole career in that that that, mm, that exactly ten year right. period is, is much more of an advantage. I'm pretty sure Scott was forty in nineteen ninety four, and he got tenth of the world champs in Wellington. Jeez, really? Did he? I'm pretty sure that's right. Jeez, that's he pretty did get tenth. I'm sure. I'm almost sure of that. No, he can't have been forty. Because how old is he now? Don't know. <laughs> Where well, he was, it, no, it would be right because I went to his fiftieth, and it was before the earthquakes. So that was yeah, but it's late. That's late two thousands. Yeah, no, it was it was several years before the earthquakes. So I think I'm, I think I might be right. Okay, Melina, give us your age. You don't need to hide it. You're still young, you're still fresh airs. Still got those guns. <laughs> oh, Melina, you're a god. Okay, well maybe you won't be a god. You'll have to find out when we're through the eighties. Yeah. Uh, so there we go. So that's uh, so. We've started. So that's the woman of the 80s. We'll be doing the men of the 80s pretty soon. Who do you think we're going to try interview when we get to the, the 90s men? Um, good to get Welsh on. Sorry? Might good to get Greg Welsh on. Yeah, I mean, you've you've got, again, it's, it's quite a big era to, to go over, you know, so you've got... Well, it was a real change of the garden in the 90s, isn't it? You've got there? Lessing and Spencer Smith in the early 90s, and then in the la- uh, you've got Brad Bevan in the sort of... M- all the way through the 90s. Mark Allen in the long course. Yep. And then you've got um, the likes of Macca. Did I say Macca then? No. Uh, Macca in sort of the latter 90s. And then even um, like Peter Robinson came in right at the end of the, the 90s. So and also in the 90s, you really started to get the divide in the sport, And that's you? When we get to that era, I am dividing it into short course and yeah, long course. because there's no way you're going to get near a baker who can be in both games. Exactly. Yeah. Because Mark Allen in the early 90s was still short course, but it was very much just the last year of the 90s, wasn't it? The first year of the 90s. Uh, Didn't he win the first World Champs? He did, yes. No, it was but he was still doing, he was doing, he was, he was a contender in Kona in, in the 80s, definitely. No, but I mean like in short course, he, oh, ba- yeah. he basically only appeared early 90s and then, yes, yeah, went long. Yeah. Oh, team, it's all in front of us. Okay, so that's uh, this interview done. Let's get on to the next part of here. We'll go, uh, Winger of the Week, is it? Winger of the Week. Now, Wanger of the Week this week, we want people to keep signing up to our group. I noticed you put it on our, on our, on our homepage. 
Yes, I did. It looks terrible. Does it? Okay, get rid <laughs> yes, of it then. Okay. Um, so I we, like design, John. We're up to 811 members in our I Am Talk group. If you don't know what we're talking about, you go onto Strava, um, you search under groups for I Am Talk, and you'll find it. Join up to the group, and then you're included every week. And uh, yeah, it'd be nice if we can get to 1,000 members. This week's Wearing of the Week, longest activity. Longest activity. Here we go. Jenny Welsh. 23 hours, 59 minutes, and 44 seconds. Why didn't you do the extra tw- 20 seconds? That's exactly Why what did you not do? Like 16 seconds. Why did you not do the last 16 seconds? That's a question I've got too, Bevan. I do not know. Jenny but maybe getting under 24 hours was the goal. No, it looked like she did a, um, a run for kids 24-hour race. So she probably was just a couple of seconds slow, either starting or finishing her watch. But uh, oh, you yeah. check that before you put it on Strava. Went one hundred sixty-seven point five nine kilometers. This is running, not not cycling. She was averaging eight minutes thirty-five per kilometer for twenty-four hours. Well done. I hope you lose lots of money for the kids. That's uh, insane. I can't comprehend running for twenty-four hours. No, neither can I. No. Imagine how your body feels afterwards. I'm reading that day with Goggins book right now, um, the the Navy SEAL guy, mm-hmm. and uh, it's an interesting book. I, I, he's a pretty interesting character, but um, he signed up for an ultra. He, he wasn't doing any running at all. Signed up for an ultra three days before it. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's foolish. Kind <laughs> <laughs> he kind of admits it. <laughs> not, you know, like he was basically a weights guy at the time. I think he'd done some running. You know, to get into Navy SEAL, which are obviously bloody mentally tough, but he'd been riding to his weights, and then. Three days before he heard about this ultra that was happening, and it, was, it wasn't even a beautiful one. I think it was like a 1K lap. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think he had to do like 100 mile or something like that. Um, so not three days. And like half, like 15Ks into it, he's like in fifth place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I haven't actually guys, I haven't figured out what happens next, but I'm pretty sure he ain't going to win the thing. <laughs> so one of the cool things about joining into the group, like when I click on and look at uh, Jenny, who's, who's done that amazing 23 hours and... 59 minutes and 44 second run you haven't done 24 go back and do it again you've never ran for a day Jenny then then it can give you a side by side comparison so the last four weeks you know I've been I've averaged 46.6k she's averaged 54.4 but mine's come from five runs hers has come from two runs and then it gives you all the estimated best efforts in terms of your um, bloody hell it doesn't give me a very good estimated marathon time estimating my marathon time at four hours and five minutes you're running slow aren't 43 you 43 seconds wait a how does it do that it just does a side by side comparison just how does it give you marathon time well it estimates based off I guess off your half and, and just, just general training stuff mm. anyhow compare all your stuff and you can compare distances and so if you have got somebody that you want to compare yourself against get on there click on them and you can check out what they're up to Check, check, check it out, Strava, or our Facebook group, basically. Uh, so, one thing we do want to say is questions and answers. And we've got Mick Simpson coming through, and he's just got, all right, boys, first ever duathlon in a couple of weeks. He's probably already done it by now, John, but that's okay. Wondering if John give me a run-through of some tips, especially in regards to pace in terms of heart rate and pace and FTP. Uh, that old lad from Kona was one of the best interviews you've ever done. Love hearing from the age groupers. 
Maybe the old lady wasn't. Who did we interview a few no, weeks ago? it might ago? have been the guy, the guy who won his age group. I mean, that's up 12. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Now, Max sent this through on the 10th of March, so it was only eight days, nine days ago. So okay. Good luck um, this weekend then. Yeah, good luck, Mac. So the question is around percentage of FTP when you're doing a duathlon. Duathlons are classic, like running races, where people just go off like startled rabbits. It is comical, and I just... One, one technique that I use, I just start laughing when I start running races and duathlons and stuff not that I've done a duathlon for a long time but you've just got to pace yourself uh, unless you're going into it tactically and if it's a drafting race then it's totally different but let's assume this is a non-drafting race and uh, and you're, you know, your objective is to go from A to B as quick as possible and you're not going head to head tactically with anybody else all you've got to do, relatively straightforward, is you've got to go, how long is this race going to take me? So if it's a sprint distance one, then you go, you know, is it going to take me 60 minutes or, or, or close to that? If it's something longer, how long is it going to take? And then you've just got to start doing the math on it. So if you're doing, say, a duathlon that's going to take you around about 60 minutes, then you go, okay, FTP is supposed to represent my one hour time trial effort and I'm doing a one hour race so I'm going to be in that sort of ballpark so if your FTP is 250 watts then your pacing plan for the bike is to be riding in that sort of ballpark might be marginally lower but then likewise running you know you've got to think okay what's my FTP equivalent running how fast can I do a one hour running race so if you go okay a one hour running race is going to take me an hour so I'm going to be averaging four minute k's then you go okay my pacing plan for the run is not to go any quicker than four minute k's at least for the first run if you're feeling fantastic on the second run then uh, then go for it so just kind of use those formulas and then if you're going um, for an Olympic distance obviously you're just going to dial it down a little bit but yeah just whatever whether you're doing a triathlon duathlon whatever it is always think about best case scenario for the fitness that you've got the average pace that you can hold and don't start any quicker than that so if you know if you're going into a half marathon and you go best case scenario I can run xyz and that's averaging five minute k's for the first at least third of the run no matter how good you feel, you don't go quicker than that. And, uh, and and one thing I always tell our runners is do not reward yourself for stupid behaviour. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause what do you what, mean by that? Well, because what a lot of people do is, so let's say you're trying to do a five-minute K. So you start your race, you, you look at your watch and suddenly you're doing 4.30s. <laughs> yeah. and, and it feels easy. Mm. You've, and you go, oh my God, I'm going to do a blah, blah, blah today. Yeah. And so you reward yourself for a stupid behavior because it's not your plan. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, the plan wasn't to go 4.30s. The plan was to go five minutes. Mm. And so many people do in the early part of a race, they go off their plan and then they reward themselves for a stupid <laughs> behavior. And what happens? Then they blow up and yeah. they have a shit second half of the race. Yeah. And so it's that kind of, I always train my runners, don't reward yourself for a stupid behavior. And if you see yourself doing a stupid behavior, tell yourself you're ruining your race. Give yourself an uppercut. Yeah, so it's literally... <laughs> <laughs> but but literally it's like if you're doing a 430 the affirmation to tell yourself is I'm ruining my race right now mm. you know because if you can if you've got a plan and it's based on what your training is saying well you should stick to that plan um, and that gives you a better chance of, of holding off or going faster at the end and that's where you're going to make your time up exactly this is slightly different if you're often going and doing a park run or something like that and your your strategy your objective as Bevan said earlier in the, the show is to try to find your limits Oh, totally different story. Yeah. You might go, right, I'm just going to go as hard as I can. But if this is a key race, and especially if it's a longer race, and you've got some experience, you should have a ballpark idea of what sort of average pace you can, re- best case scenario that you can, can do. I have a question for you. Um, 
And I because I did a little video that we're using for promotion for race team, which is our half marathon group, and I was just talking about when is the right time to set the goal. Because a lot of people go like, like we often get a lot of people who are new to our group, and uh, they just come to us with a number. That, it's really not based on any of their training. Mm. So you know, like oh, I want to do a sub two hour half marathon, and it's all. What's your training saying? Oh, I haven't really been running at all. So where's two, two hours come from? And so we kind of talk about around seven, seven, six. We do a ten week program, so about six or seven weeks into it, you should have a good understanding of where your goal should be. Based on we do a five k TT at start. Yep. And then what we do is we do what that you know. So we do V dots and all the rest of it after that. Mm-hmm. And so it gives you an indication. Then we do a reassessment about six weeks into it, and that's when we should set goals. We talk about totally agree with that. And that's you know the ideal time to be doing. Let's talk Ironman here. To do a race uh, or a half Ironman is that sort of six to seven, maybe eight weeks out from from Ironman, and you're trying to choose a course that's somewhat similar to, to what you're racing, and that's going to give you a biggest reality check on on where your fitness is at, and then you can extrapolate your numbers from your performance you do there. Hopefully you pace it right, but if you have a good solid half Ironman, or even if you're a little bit off, then you can go, okay, I expect a little bit of gain between here and the race, but I agree, around about sort of six to eight weeks out. If you've got loads and loads of experience like me, then I'll set it very, very early, because I know as long yeah. as I get in shape, I know what sort of um, pace I'm going to be able to hold. If you're still new to the journey, then you might be breaking all sorts of barriers, and if you do it you know, 20 weeks out, then uh, you might be selling yourself a bit short. But it's, this, it's such an important part of the athlete's journey, is setting the right goal mm. and so many people just set themselves up for disappointment because they just pull a number out the air mm-hmm. you know and and, and it's, so that's why doing something like a, a half Ironman TT mm. where you're actually you know good effort like you've actually smashed it get to the end that's going to tell you how could, how you should pace your race Bevan hit a great one there that the dot, which is the Jack Daniels formula and that's a really good method for going you know, get your head out of the sand. And so what, what, with the Jack Daniels formula, you can go, right, I'm going to put in, say I'm going to do a half marathon and I've done a really good 5K um, 5K park run, TT, race, yeah. TT, whatever it might be. You plug that number in and then it, will, it can give you it's your estimated too, values. Best case scenario, estimated half marathon, 10K marathon. And I normally find that they really are best. If yeah. you take it from a 5K and you put in the marathon, it's like that is really best case scenario yeah. and you've got to train specifically for it. But it will give you that number that if you go quicker than this, you are a drop kick uh, yeah. early in the race and then second half. But also like carry. like what we do is we use a lot of VDOT for our programming. So we always start 5K TT and then we do your, your intervals and your pace work all based on that. So you're conditioning your body to actually we want to try to achieve your goal. So, yeah, it's all good stuff. Okay, John, we're going to have a question here. Now, this is actually from Shai, and he was just saying this is about peeing in the pool. From what I was told, whenever we are cold, our body tries to maintain the heat. One of the things it does to constrict the blood vessels close to the body's surface and vice versa when it's hot. This is happening because the bloodstream is carrying heat with it. It is very apparent when we are hot and the veins are suddenly a lot more apparent. uh, yeah, a lot yeah, more, you know, when yeah, you're hot, your veins yeah. are really pumping out. Yep. Uh, when blood vessels constrict, their volume decreases. Since we're not discarding blood cells, something else has to go out, which is water. From my understanding, this is the thing, water, uh, this is this thing is water that is leaving the body in the form of urine. So when we're in a swimming pool, the body's temperature is usually cooler than when we're outside of the pool. So this process happens. So we're all peeing in the pool, basically, is what he's saying. Well, I pee a lot after getting out of the pool. So this was my discussion or 
question to the audience last week, why do you pee so much when you're coming out of the pool? This makes sense. Whether it's scientifically accurate, I'm not going to question you, Shy, but I think that it makes sense to me. Shy's a bit of a, bit of a geek. I like it. Right. Yeah, nice I think work. he's a bit of a Thorsten. He's in the Thorsten Club. Right. You know, that's what we call it, the geek club. Set up a group, Thorsten. <laughs> yep, the Thorsten Club. Because Shy often comes with some really good insight. Uh, Tira Crow's just got, um, they, we, we didn't mention this race. They had a 70.3 in Sri Lanka. Um, I, I know he's, yes. I did hear you guys talk about Ironman Colombo, but in the 24th of February, we had the Sri Lanka 70.3. Great age group racing, no pros, but lots of crowd support and awesome course as well. And also the volunteers were all superb. So just love to have that race here, John. I'd love to go into a race in Sri Lanka. <laughs> be a pretty awesome place, wouldn't it? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Okay, uh, we've got a new patron, John. Morton. Morton Gard Liebach from Denmark. I've been in triathlon since 1992, 21, 21 years, years of age. That's basically bang on the same time when I started. Morton, nice work. I got started because I stopped working in the forest after two years and really needed some physical activity. Had zero sports background before that, but had always used my bike for transportation. And I had seen pictures of super cool triathlon bikes and Morton one. So I had to become a triathlete logically. It was tough. I'd always been a bigger guy, lightest I've ever been is 79.5 kgs at 178 centimetres, usually racing Ironman 5 kgs heavier, and running is not my strength, neither was swimming in my first season, I only knew breaststroke. I got tired of getting out of the water last, so I joined the local swim squad and, uh, and thirsted, training alongside 12 to 14 year old kids. I never had to experience that, but yeah. that was a demoralising activity. Um, that had trained for years and I could only swim freestyle as far as I could hold my breath. It was mentally tough, but I immersed myself in swimming and with four to five sessions a week for winter, barely having the energy to do any other training, I managed to go from 17 minutes to around nine minutes for 650 metres in the pool triathlon. Massive improvement. I never wanted to do an Ironman until I accidentally decided to do one anyway. How do you accidentally decide to do an <laughs> Ironman? I woke up one morning and I was at the finish line. <laughs> in 1994, so it's only two years after he started. On average training 7 to 8 hours a week, I did 11.31.50. I'm still massively proud for that. Then 1996, a disappointing 11.17 after much more training. Then in 1997, I went all in with the help of a coach and set my still standing PR of 10.07. Great nice. work. And after 1997, I was burned out from triathlon and other things in life needed my attention, so I ended up not really training for 8 years but always wanting to. Finally in 2005, with a wife and baby underway, I started training again. That's doing it wrong, I know, but I couldn't stand not training and I was dangerously close to 100 kgs and working in IT, which I still do. Something had to be done, mostly riding my bike for the first three years, but gradually started running again. After a divorce in 2010, I really got back into triathlon again and had a real season in 2011 with a half Ironman, which incidentally was my first half Ironman, funnily enough doing it the backwards way <laughs> since then I've done challenge rote twice and Ironman Copenhagen once but only the first time in rote was a good race but under 11 hours I think extremely frustrating because I was very fit for Ironman Copenhagen in 2016 could have gone 10-15 or better haven't felt like doing an Ironman since for this year I'll be doing short races only not even a half uh, and enjoy perspective my job company as, ind as an independent consultant as his new wife uh, and he's being a great dad to his two kids feels much more important than triathlon right now still in 2021 and the age of 50 to 54 maybe an Ironman again yes I still got the bug also, also give a shout out to his club the uh, Rangers how do you say that one John Rangers Frasier Triathlon 
We are all spoiled with what we have in the club, and we are training facilities and geography in the ranges. Loving it. So, John, have you got an idea for a nickname? I have. Okay. Triple B. Triple B? And that's for the Big Blue Beast. And why is this? Well, for some reason, when I heard the name Morton, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, I thought of the Gerolsteiner cycling team. I think that's how you say the name. They were a team from the... I'm going to say the 90s. They wore a blue outfit, and I think Gerolsteiner was a, was a water company from either Germany or Austria okay. or somewhere around there. Now, you probably don't want to be associated with that team because they got busted for drugs oh, okay. quite okay. badly. But that's what came into my mind, and that was blue. And um, Morton said he had got big at some stage. He yep. got up to 100 kgs nearly. And I'm thinking he is a bit of a beast. Yep. So the big blue beast, triple B. Okay, we'll go with it. The Triple B, the big blue piece. That's what you are, Morton. Love your support of the show. If you want to become a supporter of I Am Talk, go to www.iamtalk.me. You get a cool nickname. You can send your story through. We'll read it out on the show. More importantly, you're supporting us and what we're doing, and you go into the draw to want a trip to Cone off the boys in 2020. John, also, if you want to get the show emailed to you, you can email iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. John, the sponsors are? Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. If you want to get some coaching, go to coachjohnnewsome.com. Uh, you can get my podcast, bevanjamesoz.com, and you can send us content again at that email address before. We're looking for age groupers a week, cool websites, and any other feedback. John, your gossip. My gossip. I mean, solo parenting for the last few days. And How's that different? Oh, it's just trying to fit everything in, and obviously the events of last week have not helped. But just, how, do, how do you talk to your kids about it? Uh, they're very. They're, I guess, again, we were fortunate the kids came out of school really quickly. Um, and, and likewise, when we had the earthquakes, they weren't traumatised by that because we, we, we were with the kids at that stage. Um, but, but they've actually got a genuine interest in it. Like they want to watch the news and yeah. see what's going on. So we're certainly not shielding them from it, and that's probably the main thing. Uh, I is, say, really proud of Tenu One's coverage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because like, one thing they always say with these things is don't give the guy attention. You know what I mean? And, and New Zealand, our news has done a really good job. The stories are all about the, the people who have supported, mm-hmm. you know, the, the people who were there in the moment, are starting to tell stories of the people. The, the, you know, the guy who, who, I don't even know who he is, but um, they're not giving any attention. It's always blurred if you see his photos. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think they, they're real, you know, TVNZ, I watch TVNZ, so I can't really, you know, that's the one way I watch. They're just doing a really good job of covering this in a way that is promoting what's good mm. and and not kind of doing what other news channels you see really make you know feed the fire um so no, the kid, kids are fine with it and, and again we weren't directly impacted from it we don't know anybody who was was there um and also so sadly right. we're, not, we're not muslim sorry well we you know it's, do you feel that threatened by it no no. You know, and it's sad. Mm. Yeah, well, it's good, but it's also sad. So, kids, good. So, the week ahead, I've got more time with the uh, without the wife around. I've got the Cedar Sky Challenge coming up the weekend after next. So, really looking forward to that. Got a few stars on the line. I'll, I'll discuss that maybe next. Oh, week. come on, drop some hints. I reckon got, New Zealand Ironman champion might be there. Yeah, you could be right on that. Yeah. Um, a past New Zealand Ironman champion as well. And uh, an ITU star as well might be on the start oh, line. Oh. So uh, looking forward to that. We're having major headaches with uh, race organisation, I tell you. Why? So the event goes over this road, which is opening on the Friday. The race is on the Sunday. We've had this road that oh, the come, other side, comes over and, it, and it's coming through an intersection that we ride through. And it opens on the Friday night at 6 o'clock. And this is the, the most classic ride you do in Christchurch. Yep. And so it opens at 6 o'clock on this 
Friday night. Our race is on Sunday morning. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry. So this road got completely demoed in the and it was like Long Bays is basically like Christchurch's iconic bike ride. And so Sunday morning, every Tom, Dick, and Harry is going to want to come up that that road. We are starting pretty early, but so we're controlling this intersection with a stop go paddle, mm. which which is fine. Until I get an email on Friday saying, uh, oh yeah, just by the way, there's actually um, no stopping signs almost all the way down this road, except for maybe the last 50 metres. So I'm like, well, how the hell are we supposed to do a stop go when your cars can't stop? But I have a solution, but uh, it's causing me a lot of headaches and traffic management a lot of headaches. Because it's that unknown, you're like, well, how many people are going to be coming through? Uh, so anyway, we're getting there. The event's on and it's going to be all good. It's the most scenic amazeball oh, run stunning so if you are in the area get your entry in anywhere in the south island come on down and it's trail running hill biking could be a bit of a mixed bag in the swim last year it was rough as guts so one of those races where you go in and like time doesn't matter you want to finish as quick as you can but you can't run at a k pace you can't really you can bike at a power output but um yeah just old school stuff oh it's stunning race mm. So looking forward to that. Really, really. And even the bike, get at the top of that hill. It's a decent old climb. You're probably going up. It's probably Especially a, racing it. Oh, my God. I don't know what the peak that We're going from sea level probably up to maybe 350 metres yeah, straight, straight up. Yep, yep. Mm. It's a good straight time. Bevan, what's happening with you? Guys. You know what I'm doing this weekend, John? What are you doing this weekend? Kind of partying. <laughs> Porno. Porno and I and the, and the Glendoo crew. We were in Glendoo this year and we were like, when was the last time you went, when was the last time you went to town and partied? Come on, just give me a date. I, I, and not for like a work function, like actually just went out and hit the town. Oh, no. I could not tell you. It's like In the last 20 decade? Years. No, no. <laughs> Again, maybe a little tack on somewhere after something, but yeah. no, no, it doesn't, doesn't happen. Yeah, and, and I was thinking about the other two. I did go for stags do into town, but I lasted 20 minutes and left, so it doesn't count. So mm. the proper last time I went to town, it's definitely before the quakes. Mm. It was probably when I was single. Mm. So it'd be, I've been here 11 years, so mm. when I was single. So it's been 11 years since I've been hitting the town. And there's just another world, John. Yeah, I do not know it's that world. It's another world when you go out in the town. And so we're in the Glendoo crew over the summer. We said, you know, we need to do a night in town. And it's one of those things that gets said every year, but never happens. Well, this year... This weekend, it's happening, John. <laughs> what time do you start, though? Well, that's the thing. I said to Joe, we probably need to have a nap. <laughs> you do, bet you do. They don't kick off until midnight these days, I do they? I know, I know. So, and I'm not quite sure where to go. No, where would you go? Can't go to Rattlesnakes nowadays, can you? <laughs> <laughs> can't go to the joke. Palladium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Um, you really remortgage your house. It's expensive to go out for a night oh, of the town. When you don't drink, John. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> and when you drive, it's a bloody good thing. It still costs you. They charge you for your Cokes. Mm. You know, so I'll probably have to drop 30, 40 bucks. On <laughs> Coke. Yeah, but I had a mate. I have a mate. He tells me he can drop a thousand bucks on a night. Mm. Thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. Thousand bucks on a night. Yeah. Uh, so, but we might probably be like teenagers, knowing my mates and the Glendoo mm. crew. We'll probably preload. Yeah, that's what you do. You preload. Yeah, there'll be one person who doesn't make it to town. Have the old hip flask in the inside pocket. <laughs> have the hip flask in the inside pocket, and then we're going to dance. And I, the key for me going to town, got to go to a place with good music and dancing. Right. Because if we're not dancing, I do the old. I'm going to the toilet. Mm-hmm. See you later. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's my trick. So you'll get a. You guys are going to get a town update next week. Nice work. Let's wrap it up, y'all. Iron Russ. I'm in dope. Train hard. Train smart. Kick hard.